You're listening to Conservation Connection. I'm Chance. I'm Sarah Catherine. We're a husband and wife team running an environmental education nonprofit that's focused on connecting students to their environment. Each week, here on Conservation Connection, we do just that by introducing you to the groundbreaking science and conservation work that's happening every day across the globe. We talk to professionals working to protect our planet and ask them about their career, their current projects, their wild and crazy stories from the field, and everything in between. This episode is a collaboration with the Sun Valley Forum in Sun Valley, Idaho. The Sun Valley Forum is an intergenerational meeting of forward-thinking professionals that come from a diverse range of disciplines. These experts are on the cutting edge of what's happening in the fight for our future, and they've all come together at the Sun Valley Forum to share ideas and to collaborate on solutions for a greener tomorrow. Let's get to the show. Alrighty, guys, welcome to another episode of Conservation Connection. We are here at Sun Valley Forum 2023. Very excited to be back here for a second year. We're sitting here in Sun Valley, Idaho, which is absolutely gorgeous if you get the chance to come out here. And we are very excited today to be podcasting with David Banks, who is the chief conservation officer of one of the titans of the environmental world, the Nature Conservancy. Welcome to the show. Thanks. It's great to be here. (laughs) We're super glad you can make time for us, especially as I know you're busy doing other things outside of the forum as well. Um, So for people who may not know that are listening to the show, what is the Nature Conservancy? Kind of what is your mission? Yeah, the the Nature Conservancy is is an organization that's been around for about 70 years now. Uh, And our mission is to protect the lands and waters upon which all life depends. And that includes us. Yeah, it's a that's, beautiful mission. People kind of forget that, that like we need it too. It's not just like we're trying to save the bees and the birds and the, the trees and whatever for them. It's for us, right? It's very much because we need it to live also. Absolutely. And, you know, for um, much of our history, we focus on plants, animals and natural communities. And just for the, the sake of the, the magic that it exists and that diversity of life on earth. But I think we've realized over time that even though that magic is still really important, uh, nature provides so many services to us as people and, and we sim- simply wouldn't uh, exist without it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of a hard truth that for a lot of people and a lot of businesses, the magic doesn't enter anywhere into the books, right? It, there, there has to be profitable financial reasons to preserve things in order for them to put money into it. And I think we're coming around to realizing that uh, you can save a lot of money if you're not fighting the environment, but working with the environment. Yeah, absolutely. And and that has a value. And I think we've spent a lot of time at the Sun Valley Forum this week talking about the value of nature. Uh, and at the same time, like you say, it's, it's so hard to quantify the, the magic and um, the beauty and the, the mysticism that, that nature brings. And, you know, I, I I live in Missoula, Montana, which is another beautiful place like Sun Valley. And I drove from Missoula down here. And, and you know, there, there were moments on that drive that brought me to tears in how pretty it is. And, and it's very hard to figure out what the value of that is. It is hard because it's something 
that's necessary to incentivize some people, right, to be like, oh, yeah, there's, like, a value and there's a worth in this. And, like, that's the numbers are what makes sense to them, right? But as nature people, of course, we're like, can't you just – doesn't it make sense that it has value just in, like, because do we really have is. to put numbers to it? <laughs> yeah, it's this sort of intrinsic versus extrinsic value, right? This sort of intrinsic it has a right to exist because it exists. And it – and. I don't know. I, we can get really philosophical here and like, like teary eyed about it, but it's, uh, it's true that for some people it just clicks and it's, it, it makes life better because it is, because it's there. Um, and I think it's often hard to, as people, I'm, I know that basically everybody at this forum feels like this. Um, it's hard to realize that other people don't see it in the same way. And, I think that that leads to a sort of a divisiveness that is really unproductive, right? It yelling at somebody because they cut down a tree is not going to change their behavior about trees in the future. Um, and it's, it is certainly not the most productive way to help preserve the whole ecosystem around which that tree exists. Right. Um, and so it's, I always have to be kind of intentional with myself to, to give grace to people that don't see nature the same way. And in the same way that I hope people who, whole different views from me would give me grace in that same way. Yeah, I think that's, that's absolutely right. And, you know, the Nature Conservancy started so much as an organization focused on a collaborative approach to conservation and trying to bring people with different interests and different backgrounds and perspectives together to find a solution to the problems that are harming nature. And I still believe that, that that is such an important way. Uh, we, we talk about in our work, the, the thousand cups of coffee club, um, you know, or the, the six packs on the back of a pickup truck and, and the, the conversations you have for, for weeks and, and years and, and sometimes decades with the community to get to know them and hear what their concerns are and, and try and find common ground. And I, I still think that that is really, really important. And at the same time, I have, have young kids and, and they're pushing me these days is like, you, you have to do more. And, and there are times where, you know, I think people need a wake up call that we are facing a crisis, both in climate and biodiversity and, and sometimes a little more aggression or pushing is, is helpful while still recognize we need to listen and move at the speed of trust. Yeah, it's a really hard line to walk, you know, that to navigate between like, oh, let's, you know, hold hands and, and make friends and like, hey, what you're doing is endangering all life on this planet. You know, they're, they're, it can't all be kind and soft words, but it it's just such a, a sticky problem to untangle is, is when do we push and when do we work together, you know? Right. So this has been a very fun philosophical start to this episode. <laughs> I have loved it. But I do want to dive in a little bit deeper into what your role is as the chief conservation officer. So like, what does that entail? Yeah, so it it sounds, um, uh, it's it's one of those titles that it doesn't really explain what I do. But effectively, I, I manage the, the conservation work of the Nature Conservancy around the world. So... 
we we work in 79 countries and in all of the regions of the world report up to me and also manage our our global teams that are focused on uh, climate addressing the climate crisis uh, providing food and water sustainably and protecting land and water and and also manage a group of people that is uh, helping us monitor and evaluate our work and learn from our successes and failures. So it's most of the the operations of the Nature Conservancy. How long have you been in this role? A long time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in this role, I've actually only been in the role for about four years. Um, But I've I've worked at the Nature Conservancy for 29 years. Oh, wow. I started as an intern. Wow. Very cool. So has this been pretty much your only job with the, well, obviously not your only job in the Nature Conservancy, but has the Nature Conservancy basically been your only job since you got out of college? You you asked that, like, uh, (laughs) (laughs) it's my only real job. I I was a Peace Corps volunteer after college. And, um, and then in graduate school, I started working as an intern for the Nature Conservancy and had a bunch of different jobs at the Nature Conservancy, but that's the only place I've yeah. ever worked. Yeah, that's really cool. It's so great when you can find something that you're passionate about. You know, you're passionate about it, and you find the right people to work with. That I'm assuming you enjoyed enough to have continued <laughs> Stick around working for nearly with three them. decades. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. It is interesting, and in, you know, I think in a lot of cultures, especially amongst younger people, there's the idea of like, yeah, I plan on being with this company for 29 years is almost unheard of. Um, which is just a, a strange cultural shift, but it is, it's good to hear that there are like the nature conservancy been around for 70 years. They're, they're going to be there right there and they're going to keep doing what they say they're going to do. And that's a, there's a, a lot of value to that kind of fidelity. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's part of the reason I love working here is the continuity of purpose and focus on mission. And, and at the same time, I think, so many of us, we come to the Nature Conservancy because of the mission and, and our passion for that mission. And yet, if, if you ask around the people that have been around for a long time, um, it, it's really the people that we stay for and, uh, and those relationships. All my best friends are at the Nature Conservancy and um, people I love and care for. And, and you know, I, I never meet anyone that works here that I wouldn't want to have a dinner with. And and that's a great, great yeah. thing to have. You can't say that about a lot of companies. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. So it sounds like a lot of what you do now in this role is very office-based, management-based, people-based. In what ways do you still try to stay connected to the outdoors professionally? Yeah. So, so both professionally and personally, um, my my work overlaps with uh, what I care about. And, and I think your, your point there is, you know, when you're on Zoom all the time, um, it, it can be really hard to, to keep that passion and energy. And so for me in, in work, I need to get out into the field and, and, get in the dirt, get in the water and, and connect to the places we're trying to conserve and also B 
be with the people that are are working there because because I early in my career I was I was doing the projects and doing deals and connecting with the community and I just don't get to do that as much anymore. So getting out, you know, I was I was just in Belize last week. Um, last month I was in Indonesia and New Zealand, and and that's where the energy comes from is being on the ground with people that are doing great work. And, and I do that when I take time off, which is really important in this work too, because it'll it'll beat you up at times. So you got to get out and recreate as well. Yeah, definitely agree with that. And to echo some of that for us, a lot of what we do is just we're at home writing curriculum or editing podcasts or, you know, just we're just looking at screens a lot. And for us, our energy a lot of times comes from what we're doing right now, which is getting to meet people that are doing incredible work, amplify their stories. And it is it's kind of like bouncing from high to high to high to high. And, and, and the dips in between are are just what you're getting through to the next project. Um, not that it's I mean, it's awesome to, to run a small nonprofit. I really enjoy it, but uh, it's, it definitely pales in comparison to the, the magic that happens sitting around with people who are doing really cool stuff. Yeah, well, yeah. I think in every job there is work that you have to do that isn't your favorite part of the job, right? Still gonna feel like work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And I, you, ha you have to have things that remind you of, of where the energy comes from and, and why you do that work that's sometimes really hard. And I actually have a, a, a bunch of rocks um, on on my desk where I spend most of my time and they're rocks from places that that we've protected over the years that I've had some engagement in and you know those rocks represent places that are protected and and will be that way for a very long time and they're many of them are from places that are big enough to see from space. And so wow. I can look at those rocks and feel the energy that comes from that's that. That's really work. cool. You're, I love Sarah that. Catherine is probably thinking that's something Chance would do because I'm definitely like... Something I would do. Well, <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely the one that's like, I'm going to keep a memento from like, like I have a piece of, of the gate from my high school somewhere in a box that I don't ever <laughs> look at, but like it matters to me that I can touch it, you know? And so I, I love the idea of having... I'm actually kind of into the idea of like finding rocks everywhere we podcast <laughs> and just being like, that was Sun Valley. It, it drives my wife nuts every <laughs> time we move. <laughs> yeah. We're going to move your box of rocks around again. I know. If I ever find the piece of the gate, I'll be like, really? Really? You want to keep this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Um, in the, you said 29 years that you've been there. In that time, how have you seen... I guess your career, your role in the career, and just the environmental space in general, how have you seen it change over that time? Wow, that that's a big question. And and remember this will will date me, <laughs> but when I started at the Nature Conservancy, um, we didn't have cell phones uh, and we didn't have email. Uh, I I was one of the first employees to get an AOL account. Um, nice. You may not remember. <laughs> oh, I remember. No, I remember. Just a little. Um, I can hear still hear still hear the sound of uh, getting online. Um, You've got mail. <laughs> yeah. So so a lot of things have changed since then, and and I think the the big thing is the pace of change and the the pace in which we move is so much faster now and and that 
that that's a good thing and a bad thing because the the threats to the environment and the threats to the things we're trying to protect have only increased and we were just anticipating climate change at that time and starting to think about it as an existential threat to humans and and since that time you know obviously we've recognized how bad things can get and and how quickly things are changing and so so it's both the pace of the threat and the pace of of trying to address that that i think is the the biggest change and and i think that that plays into all the the work that we do and to how my job has adapted over that time do you have a favorite conservation story site that you protected uh relationship that you built anything that like place that you have a rock from yeah yeah exactly <laughs> anywhere that like really it doesn't have to be the the top number one that's that makes it impossible to choose but like what is what are some really cool stories that you have over the course of your work yeah i have so so many and i i'm privileged to have that but i think the 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 experience that has meant the most to me in my career is our work in africa and i i was hired to start our Africa program. Um, so was one employee wow. and um, I was living in Alaska at the time where I was the state director of Alaska. And and I was lucky enough to get this opportunity. And, and so I was sent to Tanzania to open our office and hire a team and build a program with partners. And, and that was, it was so energizing and and also scary at the yeah. time because I didn't know what I was doing. I was young, and um, and so I just had to grow really quickly and and adapt. and And we now have a team that's almost two hundred people, you know, a budget of almost a hundred million, and it's protected huge areas in Africa. And I think the the area that meant the most to me was the work in northern Kenya, where we were uh, buying ranches that were owned. And in moving those into community management for both wildlife and the benefit of people. And it's it's had an incredible impact on that area. And they're also really beautiful with incredible wildlife as well. It's kind of hard to beat like the African ecosystem. There's the the beauty of it and the kinds of organisms that live there and have lived there for so long that they're so specially adapted. It's a really, really cool area. Yeah. Well, yeah. especially in the novelty to us right here in the States. I'm sure people who are in Africa are like, yeah, we get it. We see it <laughs> and probably understand it to some degree is like, yeah, it is really cool, but especially depending on the people who you talk to. But for us, I mean, it's a completely different world. Yeah. And I think that was it was one of the things that that I, I learned there. And I mean, wildlife in nature was always something that I found um, really interesting intellectually and also it, it was something that, that gave me a lot of energy you know i'd see an elephant i could watch an elephant all day and never get bored and yet one of the things i learned over there was was that that same elephant that was beautiful and interesting for local people was also a threat to their livelihood you know it, it ate their corn and it it trampled their houses and many people were killed by elephants and so i started learning that it's not always the same way the the magic of the elephant could also be a threat and we 
it, it was both those things. And we needed to be able to hold that together to be successful. Yeah, because uh, coming into a, an area and saying, hey, we need to protect this and then being like, uh, that's one of our biggest threats yeah. to our livelihood. That's that's a conversation that has to be navigated, right? Exactly. And it takes time to do that well. And it takes relationship. It takes proving that you're here to stay, that you're here for the betterment of the people as well as for the betterment of the land. And it's it's that, going back to that beginning conversation we're having, it's coming together and working with people, listening to people about what their needs are, what their problems are, as opposed to coming in with solutions. Yes. Yeah, we, we often refer to that as moving at the speed of trust. Mm. And sometimes it feels slow, but in the long run that that's the way we need to act. I love that. We've had the opportunity to speak with Vance Martin from Wild Foundation as well. And I know they do lots of similar work of going into communities and building trust and teaching them how they can work together with their ecosystem and make it benefit them, you know? So kind of the same thing you're doing, not trying to go in and be like, hey, let us give you these things and make it all better for you. And that will make life and everything better. And maybe these elephants won't trample you in your home anymore. You're like, okay, how can we work together to build a solution here for everyone involved, animals and people included? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if, if I could elaborate on that because yeah. it's um, I th this really hit home to me uh, when we started a project in in Western Tanzania and it's, it's an incredible area on uh, Lake Tanganyika, which is the second deepest lake in the world that holds thirteen percent of all the fresh water on Earth. Wow! Um, wow. And it has three hundred species of fish that occur nowhere else on earth. Uh, and, and then the forest there, uh, it's where Jane Goodall did a lot of her work in Gombe. And we were working in Mahali National Park with chimpanzees. And, and so you had this incredible diversity of, of animals and fish and this incredible lake. And we were meeting with community members all along the lakeside there and talking about the importance of biodiversity. And, and we did these community meetings over and over again. And the women in these communities were telling stories about um, childbirth and not having access to modern contraception and women dying in childbirth because the closest hospital was a day-long boat ride away from these communities. And, and I, you know, it became such a hard hitting thing for me that we just, we stopped talking about the importance of biodiversity there. And we started connecting more with what the communities needed, which was access to better healthcare and modern contraception and brought in a partner to address those needs. And I think that's the interesting thing as conservationists, we, we often think, Oh, it's only about the animals and plants. And, and really we need, to come and hear from people and, and what they need and meet them at, at their level that um, makes a difference. Absolutely. I think a lot of people who are just getting into the field or who are, are sort of just interested in it, but haven't done a lot of thought about it, don't realize that if you don't address the human need first, you can never address the environmental need, yeah. right? I can't care about protecting an old growth forest if I don't have food on my table, if I don't have a way to make the pain stop. 
if I have just lost a family member from very preventable reasons, right? So those have to be managed first before we can start reaching out into other areas like the environment. Yeah. And most of us in the West, um, and not all of us, but many of us that are of privilege don't realize what it's like to not know where your next meal is coming from. And and that that influences everything. Yeah, definitely shifts some priorities around. Mm-hmm. So I have two questions. One is a very quick, I think, probably simple question <laughs> for you. Famous last words. <laughs> what is the first deepest lake? <laughs> uh, lake, I think Lake Baikal is the first deepest lake. And where is that? In Russia. Okay, um, cool. Yeah. I just had to know. (laughs) (laughs) I hope I'm right. Someone will check my facts on this. (laughs) If you're not right, I'll just cut over it and like voice over the best I can. Yeah. Right. Um, Second question that more relates back to you in the Nature Conservancy, obviously. What is next for you in this position or just next for the Nature Conservancy as a whole? What do you have upcoming that you're really excited about? Yeah, I'm... I, I love the role that I can play. And, um, and, and so for me, we're trying to address the climate crisis and the biodiversity crisis. And that it's certainly a lifetime of work for me and for all of us out there. And, and I think it's one of the most important things we can do. So, so what I'm committed to is, is working on that and, the Nature Conservancy has a set of goals for 2030 with with targets that we have identified that we want to move towards um, for 2030, and and it's for the Nature Conservancy and the partners that we work with. So, so that is what I'm I'm really focused on is how we can help the teams at the organization and the partners we work with hit those goals for 2030 and make a difference for climate and biodiversity. And, and I think a big part of it is, is, is how we get teams to work well together and how we get our employees, the individuals, the people that work here to, to be their, their full selves, uh, to make a difference in the world and, and to enjoy the work that they're doing and not burn themselves out in the process. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've got, I also have a two-part question. First off, <laughs> is there somewhere that we can go to see the goals that the Nature Conservancy has set for 2030? Yeah, you, you can find a lot of information on nature.org, our, our website, and, you know, follow us on social media. There's all sorts of good links that um, that people can go to to provide, uh, that would provide a lot of information on these goals and what we're doing. Perfect. So, if you're listening and you want to go check out those goals or learn a little bit more, scroll down to the show notes. I've got that link right there. You guys can go straight from this listening to learning more about these goals. The second part of my question was sitting here with a microphone in front of you. If you were to say something to somebody who's interested in, in nature or the climate, but isn't working in the field, what advice would you give them? What information would you want to impart to them to, to help the Nature Conservancy meet their goals by 2030? I think knowledge is power and knowledge is what helps us change the world. So I I just encourage everyone, no matter what job you do, what you care about, to read more about 
the climate crisis, the biodiversity crisis. So you, you can learn why this is so important for our planet and for all of us who live here. And, and then there, look for ways to get engaged, um, even if it's in a small way. Um, you as individuals can make a huge difference in the world and collectively it, it really adds up. So learn what you can and then plug in wherever you can. I love that. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today and best of luck on your panel coming up here in the next hour. Yeah, thanks. I <laughs> uh, appreciate the time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Conservation Connection. If you enjoyed our podcast, go ahead and subscribe to make sure you catch every episode that we post. If you've got a minute to spare, leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts helps other conservation-minded people find the show. We'd really appreciate it. A big thanks to everyone working to protect our planet, and a big thanks to you for listening. See you next time.